As you take your seats, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word this morning back to Ephesians chapter 2. We continue to work uh, through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote from prison to uh, a young church uh, that uh, had come to know Christ through his ministry, uh, who had a powerful um, um, transformation um, out of darkness and into light, and who have experienced, from the very beginning of their existence, they have experienced a lot of pressure and, and a lot of pressure from the outside, a lot of persecution from the outside, they are also experiencing tribulation from within uh, as this church uh, is consisting of people uh, both from Jewish backgrounds as well as the Gentile backgrounds. And that has created conflict from within. And so this is a congregation that is facing, con that is facing conflict from the outside, they are experiencing conflict from within. And what the Apostle Paul has done from the very beginning of this letter is he has sought to overwhelm the readers with the extravagance of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And that extravagance, as we continue to work through Ephesians 2, is an extravagance that is not just received and experienced by individuals, but it is received, it is experienced, and it has an identity and calling for the church as a corporate body. So Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read once again verses 17 through 22. This is a continuation of what we began to look at last week. Ephesians 2, 17 through 22, and then I'm also going to read from Revelation chapter 21. And Jesus Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And I saw no temple in the new Jerusalem, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have indeed 
given us your light, a light that broke forth in the first creation day, a light that brought with it your presence, a light that brought with it the power of your creative word. And you spoke, and whatever you spoke came to be. And Lord, we know that that light was Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus is the word who has taken on flesh. And as the word taken on flesh, he is the temple presence of the triune God among his people. And so help us today, O God, to hear his voice, to see his light, and to crave his glory above all else as we, as your people, seek to reflect the hope and the peace of his presence among us. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, we have taken this second paragraph of Ephesians chapter 2 to reflect on, on the text itself and the content of what is here, but as that content helps us to reflect during this special season when we are thinking about the advent of Jesus Christ. As we think about his first coming as the God who took on flesh and dwelt among us, and as we anticipate his second coming when he will fully introduce us into the glory that he has already given to us. And as we live within this tension, we looked that first week at the hope of Jesus Christ and the hope of Advent itself. That you and I, because of our sin, and in addition, you and I, because we are Gentiles, we were not part of that covenant people. We were not part of that covenant family. We were not those who had received the testimonies and the promises. We had not been those who had received circumcision or the law. We were cut off. We were without God and without hope in this world. But as we noted, God has come near to us in Jesus Christ. He came near not only to the Jewish people, but he has come near to everyone from every tribe, tongue, and nation because that was always his purpose. In Christ, we now have hope. In Christ, we have God with us, and the God who is with us is the one who will finally and ultimately resolve the tension that you and I live under as those who have been raised up and made alive and seated with Christ in the heavenly places and yet who still deal with coughs, sniffles, arguments, disagreements. We live in this tension between what Christ has made us and yet what we still experience as those who are also still children of but not only do we have this hope of Christ and, and, and how he will resolve this tension for us, we have the peace of Christ. That Christ in taking on flesh 
in Christ and in living in this world and suffering what it meant to live in this land of, of fallenness. And Jesus Christ, who took our sins upon himself on the cross as he shed his blood for us, has made peace. He has made a peace between us and between God, where God is no, no longer pursuing us with his justice. Instead, he is one who is satisfied with us because of what Jesus Christ has done. And he has made peace between us. You and I no longer have to live with those disagreements with the enmity, with the uh, pressing upon one another personal preferences instead of manifesting to one another the humility of Christ, who in his birth was born in a lonely manger as one who had freely chosen to give up glory for a time in order to become a servant and to serve even to the point of death. Jesus Christ, who is the eternal God, decided to consider sinners better than himself. He came and he served and he suffered and he died and he accomplished every single thing that we need. Not only for that, that shalom of wholeness with God, but also with one another. Advent is this time of reflecting upon this that we have within ourselves. We also noted last week as we began that with this advent of Christ, there is this special privilege of not just uh, having hope, not just having peace, but being drawn as participants in God's mission. Jesus Christ is the chief missionary of all of redemptive history. And in his mission, he not only took on flesh, it wasn't, wasn't just to come, but he came and Jesus preached. He proclaimed the truth that he embodied. But what Paul says is that Christ also preached to the believers in Ephesus. We noted the only way that Jesus could have done that was as Jesus was preaching through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, as Jesus continues to speak to his people through the leadership of his church, that the ministry of the church, as it is built upon the, the apostles and the prophets, is not only talking about the doctrinal truth of the past, but the continued application of that doctrine by Jesus Christ through his spirit as he speaks, even through donkeys. Not just in the Old Testament, right? He still does. He calls people like me to have this privilege. I want to focus on today, though, is it is not only through the ordained leadership of the church, as we focused on last week, that Christ continues to minister 
in this world because he continues to minister through you. The privilege that you have in being part of the people of God is not only that you have hope. It's not only that you now have peace. But you now have a participation in this eternal mission of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. An eternal mission in which God has created and is redeeming for the purpose of having a people that will dwell with Him. Who will dwell in the fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who will dwell in the love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who will dwell in, 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 the, in the power, in the goodness, in the truth, in the beauty of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The triune God has existed as one and three throughout eternity, and He has existed in the enjoyment of Himself. And when he sent his son, and when his son took on flesh, when he was born in that manger, God had come near. And as John says, God in Christ dwelt among us. That word dwelt in the Greek is doesn't mean that he came and hung out. Literally, it says that Christ came and tabernacled. Think about that. Christ didn't just come and, and dwell. He didn't just come and exist. He didn't just come and live. All of that would have been totally awesome. But we are told he came and tabernacled. Christ is the tabernacling presence of God in the flesh. He took on flesh. Even though he had set that glory aside, it was as if the glory of Christ, that glory that he was owed because he is God, it was as if it became veiled behind layers of skin. And if you don't know what the tabernacle is in the Old Testament, it is the glory of God that is hidden behind layers of skin. The tent of the tabernacle consisted of animal skins that were layered one on top of the other, over the other, over the other. And as you would go into the tabernacle, you would, you would come into a place in which it was more holy than being outside, but there was still a holier place yet to go as you would pass through a second curtain, or technically a third curtain, and enter in the Holy of Holies, where there was the Shekinah glory of God that only the high priest had access to see once a year, and he did so under a threat. The people of God would stay outside of not only the Holy of Holies. They would stay outside not only of the holy place. They would stay uh, outside of the tabernacle itself except 
to come just a little bit inside to that whole, to, to, to the altar where they would offer sacrifice. Now listen to the language of the Apostle Paul here in chapter 2. Because Jesus Christ and because of the preaching ministry of Jesus Christ, what Jesus has done is he has provided, notice here, verse 18, he has provided both Jews and Gentiles equal access to God in one spirit to the Father. Equal access. He is borrowing from this tabernacle and temple imagery that run, ran throughout the Old Testament, but was also still part of the present-day existence for the people of God. As Paul is writing here uh, in the early to mid-60s, the temple, Herod's temple, still was existing in Jerusalem. And it was a wonder of the day. And people, whether they were Jew or Gentile, had heard of this temple. They had heard of this glory. They understood the way that it functioned. And because it was, it was part of that disagreement, it was part of that alienation, it was part of, of the stress and dissension between Jew and Gentile. And what is interesting is when you look at the temple uh, in Paul's day, Herod's temple, it was constructed differently than the tabernacle. It was constructed differently uh, than David's temple or Solomon's temple. It was constructed differently than the post-exilic temple. And what they had done is they had created all of these different courts within the temple. In the tabernacle, the first temple, the second temple, there was one court. And that was you passed through the, the first tent or you passed through the first doors, you came to the altar. That was the court. And then if you were a priest, you could go into the holy place. If you were the high priest, you could go into the holy of holies once a year. But that's it. It was a very simple construction. When you look at Herod's temple, they had created four courts. And the outermost court, you guessed it, was the court of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles could only go into this court. They could not go any further. It didn't matter it what. They could not go any further. They were Gentiles. And they had to be reminded that they were dirty Gentiles by staying far away. The next court was the court of women. So women, at least you were better than dirty Gentiles. And that said sarcastically. But then the women, and the women could only go so far. And then you had the court of Israel, is what it was called. But guess who's the only people who went to that court? Jewish men. They called it court of Israel, but the women of Israel were not allowed in it. But the Jewish men could go into the court of Israel. And then you would get into the court of the priests. 
And that what they had done is they had taken uh, biblical theology that there is a distinction that exists between God and his sinful people and that there is a special role for the priesthood as they function as mediators between people and God. But what they had done was they had started creating all of these unnecessary boundaries within the group of sinners where there was a hierarchy created, where the Gentiles were the worst sinners, women were, were not you know, as bad of sinners as the Gentiles, and then the Jewish men you know, were at the top of the heap. What Paul has been arguing here is no. Because of the fall of Adam, every sinner is on par with every sinner. And because of the work of Jesus Christ, every believer is on par with every believer. What does he say here? The wall of separation has been knocked down. This is not just hypothetical. This is not just spiritual. He is borrowing from the language of the temple of letting them know that all of those artificial barriers that have been put between Jew and Gentile have been knocked down in Jesus Christ. And if you are in Christ by faith, it doesn't matter if you grew up Jewish, keeping all of the laws, or if you grew up Gentile, completely breaking every law because you didn't even know the law existed. Regardless, in Christ, everyone has the same equal access to God. And so this access that we have as the people of God is not only an access in terms of relationship. It is that. And that would be cool enough. But it is more. Because the reason God had chosen Israel in the Old Testament as his people, it was chosen for a purpose. They weren't chosen because they were awesome. He tells them over and over, you weren't awesome. He didn't choose them because they were big and powerful. He tells them over and over, you were little. You were weak. I put my heart upon you, and that's why you're mine. Now, the reason you're mine is that you get a privilege of participating in my mission, as I will put my tabernacle or my temple among you as my people, where you will become that place where, where I make my presence known in this world. And as you live with me, according to what I'm revealing to you, as you live with me through the sacrificial system I am giving you, as you live with me and as you embody me to this world, I'm going to bring some from every tribe, tongue, and nation into my people, into my kingdom, into my household, into my house. This was always God's purpose. And what he is telling us, that in Christ, not only do Gentiles now get to have salvation and have this glorious existence as, as being a recipient of God's grace and his peace and his love, they also get to participate in the mission of making God known in this world. And so look here as he, what he says, beloved. Because you were in Christ... You 
have been made a, a fellow citizen in God's kingdom. There is no hierarchy here within this kingdom. You are citizens together where everyone shares the same level of righteousness before God, and that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which means your righteousness is complete, your righteousness is complete, your righteousness is complete, Rusty's is close. Even Rusty's is complete. Even mine is complete. And that means every single one of us, if you are in Christ, you have an equal standing with one another before God. You are fellow citizens within the kingdom of God. You are also, notice here, members of his household. You are now part of God's family. John 1 tells us that when Christ came, his own, meaning the covenant people of his day, didn't receive the Messiah that they were promised. And yet, even though the people as a whole did not embrace him as the Messiah, there were individual Jewish people who did embrace Christ by faith. And to those who embraced him by faith and by faith alone, he gave the right to become children of God. It is only through faith in Jesus Christ that you are introduced into the household of God as one of his children, having full and complete equal access, he says, to the throne of grace, living with the boldness and the enablement as the children of God to cry out to their Abba Father, those who live, who are who are pitied by God, who receive his mercy over and over again, protected by God, provided for by God, as he is a heavenly father who knows how to give what is needed to his children. Those who are disciplined by God, not, not spanked if you cross the line, but as someone who is directed, someone who is instructed, someone who is loved and receives mercy when you do cross the line in order to be instructed to, to come back and to, as God said uh, from Isaiah this morning, to return to him. To be one of God's children is to never be cast off, to be sealed for the day of redemption, a guarantee that provides us We are fellow citizens. We are members of God's household. And notice last, we are growing into the temple presence of God. Each of you in Christ are a stone that is being built on top of other stones and is being built next to other stones. And as each stone is connected together, the whole thing is held together in Jesus. There's a lot of debate here when it says as Jesus as the cornerstone here. There are some translations that, that take the word as keystone. And the difference would be a cornerstone you would have as, as this chief point of reference so that as a wall in each direction goes off of that stone, it is that cornerstone that is holding it together. 
A keystone works the same way, except for instead of it being part of a foundation, it is part of the very top of an arch where you have the two sides of the arch as they come together. If there is no keystone, the two sides fall apart. They never connect. They never stand. And so whether it's Jesus as the cornerstone or Jesus as the keystone, Jesus uh, is the place where Jew and Gentile come together into this equal access to God as those who are fellow citizens, as, as those um, who, who are members of God's household. We hold together in Christ. It's such an amazing privilege. And as he holds us together as the one who has given us his life, and as he dwells in and through us, we are now being built into the temple presence of God. The temple presence, we are told in its final eschatological form in Revelation 21, is not a building. It is a people. For there is no building for a temple that is found in the New Jerusalem because Christ, or because the triune God dwelling with his people is temple. We have to remember is those, the tent of the tabernacle and those different buildings that served as temple as God was moving throughout redemptive history, those were always types they were never the fulfillment. They were always meant to be temporary, and they were always meant to point us to something better. And that is God dwelling with his people where there are no walls. Because in Christ, beloved, he is the high priest who has entered into the holy of holies, not of the tabernacle and not of an earthly temple, but of the heavenly temple. And as our heavenly high priest, he draws us into that heavenly tabernacle where we, as Paul has said, as we've been made alive, raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly places, we are seated in the holy of holies of God's eternal presence. There are no walls for those who are in Christ. Christ came as the dwelling of God, as the temple of God, as the tabernacle of God here on earth. And we are told that he was full of truth and he was full of grace. In fact, the wording there is grace upon grace or grace in the place of grace. Now think about that. If there's grace and you take the grace away, what will you have? Grace, right? Because it's grace in the place of grace. So if you have grace and you try to take the grace away, what will you have? Grace. I know we're Presbyterians, but we are allowed to talk. If you have grace and you take the grace away, what do you have? Grace. Can you take grace away if you're in Christ? No. But do you and I do so? Especially in the way we interact with one another. in the relationships of the church when someone hurts you do you remove grace from them 
or even though they have tried to take that grace away, do you keep filling in with grace behind it? Or do you choose to fight fire with fire? It means for us to be in Christ, beloved, that there is an unending reality of grace. And it doesn't matter if it's between you and God, you and your neighbor. What this means is that you're going to keep struggling with sin in your life. You're going to keep struggling with sin even if you're in Christ. Guess what? That struggle with sin, the doubts that so easily creep in, there is grace in the place of grace, the place of grace for you. You in Christ, even if you keep struggling with sin, cannot remove yourself from the reality of God's grace to you. It also means that we are a people of truth. And that truth is not a truth that is to be held distinct from grace. Can you Stand for truth without being a jerk. Because that's what it means to be the temple present. It's to not only be a place of his truth, but to be a place of his grace. Who are not opposed to one another. They work together. Because the truth of God in Christ, that he is the fullness of grace. And in him, there is grace. So this is an amazing calling and identity for us as God's people to be those who are being built into the temple presence of God. What that means, beloved, is even though we haven't entered into the fullness of what that temple presence will be when Christ returns in the second advent, because of the first advent, the temple is being built and you are that temple. Do you reflect the temple presence of God? The way that you live towards him, towards one another, to those who are outside these walls. Can you interact with God for yourself according to God's grace? Can you interact with one another here especially when you disagree, can you interact with one another through God's grace? And when you are dealing with those who are outside these walls, can you be known as being a person of grace? It doesn't mean people are going to like you. It doesn't mean that people are going to accept you. As Lauren prayed, there's been so many changes for our older brothers and sisters in Christ and what it looks like to be a Christian in this, in this land. Can we, even amidst the changes, can we, even as we continue, lose our voice? Can we, even as we continue, not to have the same influence that we once had, 
can we still be a people of truth and grace together so that the church is not known as those who are whining about how bad things are, but can embody the hope that the greater tension we are experiencing is a tension that will be relieved when Christ returns. Hope, peace, presence. This, the advent of Christ and the fullness of what we look to in his advent. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us to be a people who not only enjoy the, the lights and the songs and the snacks and the scriptures and all the things that come with, with Advent and Christmas. Help us not only to enjoy those things, but to embody those things to a world that still lives under the curse a world that still lives in darkness, a world that needs mercy, a world that needs grace, a world that needs truth and needs these things held together even as they were found in Christ himself and even as Christ continues to manifest through us. Lord, help us to take these things seriously and to cultivate what we need to do to be a people who live with one another as fellow citizens, as members of the household of God together, as those who are built into the temple presence of the triune God. Because, Father, in and of ourselves, we, we wrestle against that, we fight against that, and we would rather set up our own kingdoms instead of being, bearing witness to yours. So, Lord, fill us with the hope and with the peace and with the presence of the advent of Christ. And may the imagination of our faith be filled with the wonder that leads us to live as your temple presence within this world. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.